Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Story Box, where I, your host, Jay Phantom has the utmost privilege and honor to unbox the amazing stories of some incredible people from all walks of life and experiences. I'm delighted and grateful that you're here today. Now let's dive into the story box and hear more about our guest today. Welcome everyone back to another episode of the Storybox podcast. Hope you all are doing well during this time. If you are a new listener to the Storybox, just want to say welcome. And if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for your support. My friends, this episode is going to be a good one. It's going. There's going to be a lot of laughs in here. There's going to be a lot of information because my next guest is none other than Lisa Messenger. That's right, the founder of The Collective Hub. She is a vibrant game-changing CEO. She launched the Collective Hub as a print magazine in 2013 with no experience in an industry that people said was either dead or dying. Collective Hub has since grown into an international multimedia business and lifestyle platform with multiple verticals across print, digital, events, and more recently, co-working spaces, all of which serve to ignite human potential. Lisa is an international speaker, best-selling author of literally, she's got, she's written over 29 books. I'm not sure how many of those are bestsellers, but I would have to say a lot of them are bestsellers. And she's an authority of disruption in both the corporate sector and the startup scene. She well and truly traverses an array of industries, having been engaged to speak across the globe for organizations including IBM, L'Oreal, Telstra, Facebook, C3 Church, Commonwealth Bank, CPA Australia, Perina, Harcourts, McDonald's, and Estee Lauder. She has headline events including National Achievers Congress, Melbourne Spring Fashion Week, She also opened the Adelaide Fashion Festival and closed the Mercedes-Benz Sydney Fashion Week. In 2016, Lisa co-chaired the Virgin Way panel with none other than Sir Richard Branson himself. And in 2017, she was invited to speak at prestigious global media conference FIPP in London. She's literally done it all. And I kid you not, guys, her story is incredible. This is an episode for those people that are thinking about doing something but are are, are quite hesitant or they don't know if it's the right course of action to take. We we also dive into the difference between happiness and joy and uh, Lisa's definition of of both of those. And it's just a fun conversation. So do me a huge favor. If you do get something from Lisa's story, pay it forward. Go uh, send this link to somebody else, your friend, family member, let them know that they are worth something by sharing this story to them. Okay, it might inspire them to do something that they've always been hesitant on actually doing. So you can be the change maker for someone today. Also, we do have a YouTube channel too, so you can watch the full interview live or not live, but in the flesh uh, and see some other episodes in the flesh too over on YouTube. Just type up the story box or you can click the link below in the show notes. And please, this is a huge, huge one. Uh, leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, five stars. Let us know uh, what you think. And that goes a huge way to reaching more people with some of these incredible stories on the Storybox. 
and your support is greatly appreciated. You remember, you can be the change maker today just by spending 30 seconds of your time. So with that being said, my friends, I now introduce to you Lisa Messenger. So let's dive in the story box and hear her story. Oh, thank you. It's always, thank you. It's good to be here. It's always funny listening to your kind of bio back and you're like, oh yeah, I'm pretty good. But actually I'm just sitting here in, you know, I've just been for a run. I've got my dog snoring next to me. Like I'm just a normal human. So <laughs> it is beautiful so, to be here with you. You're so humble, Lisa. And I really appreciate it about people like that authenticity about people. It's quite uncommon and it should be more common in society, I think, especially for people that are well-known uh, in, in our society, but you're doing amazing things uh, in the world. You're such a, a bright spark of positivity. And don't worry if my German shepherd starts barking or comes running in. Oh, well. <laughs> well, good. Well, Benny may well, because, you know, working from home now, if the doorbell goes, it's because real life. <laughs> yep. What can you do? Um, I usually have one question that I love asking people to start off with. And I heard you ask this question to Wendy El Khoury as well in your podcast, which is what does success look like to you? Oh, me, for me, good question. (laughs) Uh, It's just two words, freedom and choice. So Mm. success for me is, you know, having the freedom to do what I want with whom I want where I want every single day and yeah. And then choice. And I think the thing for me is I couldn't care less about money for money's sake. I do care about it to buy freedom and choice. And I don't think making money and doing good in the world have to be mutually exclusive. And my entire mandate is to be an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs, living my life out loud, showing that anything is possible. So yeah. So it's, um, that is it. That is success really. I like how you said freedom and choice. And a lot of people are sort of looking for financial freedom and what that actually really does look like. But you're not, mm. you're not focusing too much on, on the money side of things. You're just focusing on being free and then the money's going to come and that's your choice at the same time. So I love that. Yeah. Now that Thank you. And just on that, my fiance would say that I have a leaky bucket because <laughs> the reason for that is a lot of people you know, create something and make money and put it all aside. If you watch, I mean, this year I'm putting out 37 print products. It's because I love creating, right? So I I make the money, but I just, I put it all back into creation. So, you know, I'm not foolish with it. I've had businesses for 19 years, but, um, but I'm all about creating and giving back and inspiring and lifting others higher. And so, yeah, I don't really need stuff. I love, you know, reinvesting into creation. Mm, I love that. And I'll, I'll get to how you got started in all this in a moment, but I'm curious about you. You mentioned there creating stuff and I love asking people this question. What does creativity mean to you? Oh, <laughs> so this is, I, so I'm a creative Absolutely. 100%. My brain, if I, like I went for a run this morning, I see jump points. I call them jump points everywhere, everywhere I see ideas. And that's, I think a very entrepreneurial trait. And so, and then I kind of go, what am I going to turn them into? But I mean, this is like a really big conversation for me because it starts with purpose. So every day I go, what's my purpose? And I think for anyone listening, that's so important because when you're creative, you do see opportunities everywhere to create. Mm. So I have sort of a litmus test and I might be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Should I start a fashion label? Then I'm like, no, does that come back to me being an entrepreneur for entrepreneurs and igniting human potential essentially? And I go, no, I love fashion or whatever, but does that mean I need to start a fashion label? No, focus. (laughs) And so for me, it's about, you know, what can I put my love and my passion and, you know, my vibes into that's going to actually achieve my purpose and help to lift other people higher. So that's creativity, but it comes out in all sorts of crazy ways for me. So I think this is the beautiful thing when you know your purpose and you focus, you know, unwaveringly on that, but then the delivery mechanism can, you know, come out in multiple different ways. And I think that's true creativity. Mm. So whether I'm writing a book or putting out a journal or dropping a deep health track last year. I don't know if you've heard that. I laugh because my fiance was like, 
he's my biggest fan. Although, he, by the way, he's my biggest fan, but he's never read a single book that I've written. He's <laughs> like, well, I get to live with you every single day. But he was like, you write so much and you love dancing. And I love, I, I meditate to deep house music, music before I go on stage to a big speaking gig, right? So he's like, well, we know this great DJ, Dan, why don't you contact him and say, can I read some of my words? And we'll put it to a deep house track. So I made a deep house track last year. <laughs> so I think it's good to like keep exploring and playing with, you know, different creative pursuits and different delivery mechanisms of your message because that keeps it fresh and it keeps us, it keeps me excited, but it also stays very much on what is my purpose and it doesn't go too far out of the boundaries of that, <laughs> if that makes sense. It does. But I, but I love trying, trying anything different. And I purposely during COVID, for example, I bought like five board games at once. Cause I was like, right, let's try and do something different. So I'm always like pushing myself a little bit into different creative things that are beyond my realm. I'm not particularly talented at anything. I have amazing teams around me that actually make my vision come to life more often than not. But, um, but I love just, I love creating. I love putting things out into the world. You're creatively talented. I, 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 <laughs> I'm something. <laughs> you're, you're definitely someone having written so many books as well. There has to be some kind of definite gift there because I, I, I'm struggling to write one book at the moment. <laughs> it's where do you find the inspiration from? Well, you know, and thank you. It is interesting. And some people know this about me at school, which was a long time ago, I did what was unceremoniously called veggie English. So it was like, that's what it was called at school. Like unceremoniously, it was for the, like, I don't know, the people who couldn't read or couldn't write or had no creative phone. So that's the class that I was stuck in at school. And so I think so much of life is about mindset and the people you meet and, you know, where you draw inspiration from along the way and how much we, you know, do self-development and educate ourselves. And so it's just over the years that I've learnt the pursuit of writing and publishing, I guess. And it was actually in 2004 when I wrote my first book, it's a long time ago, called Happiness Is. And it came out of being desperately unhappy. Um, for most of my 20s, I was like really, really unhappy, drinking too much, quite suicidal, like really struggled with mental health in a big way. And so I went around Australia and I was like, right. And so this is the thing, when you have some sense of purpose, it's just like I was just desperately looking for what's going to make me happy. And the almost irony of that is the very notion of doing that gave me a sense of purpose and it gave me an opportunity to um, unlock something in me that I never knew existed. And so I wrote this book, well, I compiled this book of everyone else's thoughts really in 2004 about what happiness meant to everyone else. And then um and then I went on to sell 36,000 copies of that in the first, I think it was 12 months. Um, a bestseller in Australia was 5,000, but I looked at it very differently. And I, I mean, that's a whole nother tangent we could go on, but I basically, I self-published that book and I, I pre-sold a whole lot to a whole lot of different companies. I mean, I won't, I could talk to you about that if you want to, but that's kind of where it began. Right. And, um, and then people started saying to me, oh my gosh, you had some success with this. Can you help me? So I helped, I started helping other people to write and publish books. And then along the way, I started writing a lot more books. And the interesting thing about that is that most people become the guru of something and then write a book. I never do that. I, I find a book as a creative outlet to go, I'm going to learn to surf, right? And this is true. I actually wrote four books on learning to surf. I did learn to surf Bondi, learn to surf Manly, learn to surf Byron. And then Surfing Australia approached me and we did a big deal and I did learn to surf Australia, right? And I pulled in Lane Beachley and Barton Lynch and I haven't talked about this for years. But I wrote those when I was like in the driver's seat learning to surf from a layman's perspective. So all of my books... I bought property. I bought a book. I wrote a book on um, property investing in the Australian way. I mean, this is a long time ago. Um, and those are a lot of the books that, you know, hardly anyone read except happiness is did very, very well. But um, the more recent ones, I mean, I write every single day. So mm. all of my books, Daring and Disruptive, the first 18 months of Collective, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm sure we'll get into that. But that's the thing. You struggle with something 
you say you're struggling with writing a book, it's because you haven't done it. But now I look back and go, writing a book is so easy. But there are things that you would do that I'd go, oh, my God, how do you do that, right? Mm. So you just got to take the first logical step. Do you ever get stuck with writer's block at all? Yeah. No, not really. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I not really because I have trained myself. Like I said before, everything I think in books, I think in stories. I mean, that's how my brain works now. So, and it's actually a beautiful way to live. And I'll tell you for why. Things come at us every single day that are beyond our control, mm. right? But but what I've done is I've trained my mind to turn it into a story. So, you know, a lot of things will come like, I don't know, horrible things. You know, what I, ugh, so many I can't even mention. But if you read my books, you'll, you'll see them because every single one of my chapters almost starts with, this horrible thing happened. This is what I did about it. These are the lessons learned, right? So I... It's almost nice because I find it quite a selfish way to look at life almost because now something horrible happens and normally a person who doesn't write or doesn't have a creative outlet would just go, yuck, horrible thing happened. But I feel like I just like go, okay, and I almost lean into it and go, oh, this is so horrible. But it's like I gamify it and give myself a little challenge and I go, right, how am I going to get out of this? And this is going to make a bloody good chapter somewhere. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, because stuff, I mean, and the bigger you get, you know, I run a few quite large global businesses now and, um, you know, the bigger you get, the more people go, oh, you're so lucky. I'm like, no, it, it's great. Yes, my life's amazing. But it also means that really difficult things come thick and fast every single day. You know, when you get big, more stuff comes at you. It's not like, oh, life's amazing. You hit this kind of point and it's just like all incredible. It's like constantly problem solving all the time. It never stops. And that is the greatest skill. That is one of the greatest skills on the planet. You know, where other people see problems, you see a solution. And that's what I've also trained myself to do. And that's very much around my books and my content. I'm like, whoa, problem. And so a lot of people say to me, which is very nice, they're like, oh my God, I feel like you're just like me. And it's because I write and I speak about the hard stuff and the yucky stuff. And then I talk about how I got through it. Whereas most people just skim to the, um, this is where I am, pardon me, this is where I am now. They forget about that. Oh my God, this is what I went through to get here. These are the lessons learned. And this is where I am now. They just go to the, this is where I am now. And so a lot of people aren't, necessarily very relatable and what they're doing isn't necessarily attainable because it's so far removed from us. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. I completely know what you mean by I I'm writing a book at the moment called the path of an Eagle. Cause my, my story is kind of crazy. It's kind of wild. Um, and I had three near death experiences, all sorts of things have happened in, in my life and I've been <sighs> knocked, knocked down more times than you can imagine. And I just keep getting back up and I've had someone ask me in the past, like, Jay, why do you keep getting back up? And I said, because I don't want to stay down. Like, there's, it's not fun being down. It's better soaring above and, and seeing what you've been able to over, overcome. That oh is my gosh. the value is. Now I feel naive because I don't know your story and, and you can't unpack it here with me because your audience <laughs> will very much know your story. I'll I have to have you on my iPod. My podcast. <laughs> oh, that would be an absolute honor. But I, <laughs> they don't know everything. Uh, last year, I was in, uh, I had, I was in a career in real estate, and um, I know exactly what it's like to be faced with a massive problem, like millions of dollars and people. You're dealing with people, so we're all flawed. We all have problems, and we're all going to try and figure out and work out the best possible solution for everyone to make them happy. And I remember my second sale was the worst sale I've ever had. And um, it, it didn't go down too well. And my boss sort of had to save my bacon, as he calls it, because I didn't communicate properly. I didn't have the, the things that happened in that moment weren't particularly, I wasn't prepared for it. And um, I failed miserably. And I felt like my life was meaningless in that moment. And that was partly because of my boss as well. 
and partly because of the situation around me. So in that moment, I kept thinking of all the what ifs, like what if this happened, what if that happened? And then when it all was said and done, I'm like, why did I do that? I just learned something. I'm not going to do it again. So therefore, I don't need to worry about making mistakes. And that's when I realized the saying, in failure, you learn humility. So don't be afraid to fail. And I think so many people are afraid of failing at something because they feel it's that fear and that pain. And um, what I realized in my life is the pain is inevitable, but you have a choice to allow that pain to impact your mindset and your life and Mm. move forward with it. So I made a choice. I'm not going to allow the pain to define who I am. Oh, I love that. And and I can imagine just stepping into your shoes for a minute. I mean, I don't know what you're doing in real estate, but the time when you make a sale, particularly your second sale, you, that's the time of jubilation. Like that's what you do in real estate. So that's amazing. So then to suddenly be confronted with whatever went on for you and to be deflated in that moment. Yeah, that's that's a hard thing to take on. So well done for moving through. Thank you. <laughs> But going back to to this idea of purpose for a moment, Matt Purcell told me in one of our interviews, he's like, your purpose is not the destination. And I'm always curious about how someone is able to find their purpose in their life if they're actually struggling with it right now. Mm. Oh, I love Matt Purcell. He's amazing. Mm. Um, So I wrote an entire book called Purpose in 2017. And again, sounds like an arrogant topic, (laughs) but I I wrote it because so many people kept asking me this question like, oh, I would say I stepped wholly and absolutely unwaveringly into my purpose in 2013. Mm -hmm. And so, but then you have to reverse engineer it, right? So that's why I wrote the book because I was like, yeah, what were all the steps I went through? And so that book called Purpose, literally goes through everything. But essentially I would say this, there's a few things to it. And some people would argue that, you know, is our purpose ever changing? I feel pretty, pretty resolute in mine. And I think what I'm doing will be my purpose until the day I die. But the delivery mechanism, as I said before, will change all the time, depending on the market needs, depending on my creativity, depending on a whole lot of, you know, economic societal factors. So I think the important thing to do is to kind of feel into what juices me up, what makes me excited, what would I do if I wasn't being paid for it? So that's kind of number one. And I really urge people to look beyond what they're currently doing. Do you know what I mean? Because it could be something really obscure. Like you could be in a nine to five job in a beige boardroom working as a lawyer for example, and your, what juices you up and lights you up might be like that you're a DJ or I don't know, some little thing or that you love cooking or there's something else. So really feel into what makes you super excited. Then I kind of go, if you start listening for a while to external factors, that external validation piece, which will become less and less important once you step into your purpose. But at the beginning, if you listen to that external thing about people just saying, oh my God, you're so good at that. Wow. You did that. So you start listening to that and then you go, ah, people really digging what I'm doing here. Mm. And then the third thing is, is there some kind of commercial reality or some kind of commercial outlet? So this is where it becomes important because you might love being a DJ or baking cupcakes, but like, is that just your passion, you know, and you actually don't want to monetize that or actually are you like the world's best cupcake maker? And oh my gosh, you're doing it so differently than anyone else. And actually there's a market and there's something commercially viable there. So I think when you start to look at those three things, and what I would say is this as well, you know, you can start a side hustle or you can start small. So if you are that lawyer in a beige boardroom, I'm just using that as one of many. Good example. Um, yeah, but, and you love baking cupcakes, well, start Instagram or start a blog or start selling cupcakes at your local market. Just start something small and test and iterate. And the beautiful thing about, you know, social media and the digital sphere these days is that people will respond very, very quickly. You get that real-time feedback and you can see, wow, is there a market? Are people excited about what I'm doing? Does this still feel good? Is there an opportunity to make money? And I think that's a nice thing because 
you know, I started my own business 19 years ago and I was on like 60 grand or something and, you know, I had really nothing to lose. So I do understand when people are wanting to step into their purpose or their vocation, if they're earning really great money and they've got, you know, actual bills and things to meet and there are some financial realities, then, you know, there are other ways to test the market before you jump completely and put everything on the line. So I think they're the things. I would also say this. I think when I am at my most happy and when I feel absolutely most on purpose, it is when money has nothing to do with it. And as you said before, when we started, the money just comes. It's almost a byproduct when you step into what you're doing. I feel most alive 100% when I'm giving back or doing something that is not for me. Do you know what I mean? That's just... I mean, I don't know if, if anyone saw what I was doing with the bushfires accidentally in um, January earlier this year. And again, I would say your purpose comes in the weirdest of ways. Mm-hmm. New Year's Eve, we had some people over to dinner. Um, we have a house at Bangalore near Byron Bay. And every, we went around the table, we're a bit nerdy, and we were like, you know, what does this year hold for everyone? Everyone else would be getting drunk. I'm like, so what's everyone's thing? And I sat there so resolutely and I was like, this is my year. I'm going to do something big, right? Mm-hmm. Two days later, I'm, you know, I was watching the bushfire, like everything on the news and across social media, and I was like, no one's really taking action. And I just... Literally, people can go back and watch my IGTVs. I'm in my pajamas and I'm like, I'm going to do something. I think my first IGTV was watched by like 36,000 people. And this is the thing. I know nothing about crisis. I know nothing about bushfire relief, but I have a good community and I have a lot of passion. By within 24 hours, I had 400 cars outside food bank who had never heard of 24 hours before in Victoria. Meek and Gail and I had organized like who we'd, we'd never met. She contacted, she was, saw me on Instagram, was like, I love what you're doing. And she, she and I had been connected for a while. We organized helicopters. Um, like I just did the most insane stuff because I felt on purpose and I felt like I could step up and make a difference. So any one of us, if we're brave and courageous enough, can step into something much bigger than ourselves at any point in time. I truly believe that. I have to agree with you on that. And speaking about this idea of happiness and being happy in your purpose, I want to ask you two questions. Hopefully mm-hmm. you're able to keep them in mind. So the first one is to do with distinguishing between being happy and being joyful. So go to that question first. Happy and joyful. That's interesting. Uh that is interesting and I've not been asked that and that is, yeah. Okay, so when I'm going to say it like this, um, it's interesting. I just called a trust. I had to open a trust last week and I called it Trinity Joy for many reasons. Okay. Trinity, the mind, body, spirit and yeah. joy is my um, true essence that I connect with. So let's start there. And in 2004 when I said um, I changed my life completely, I actually gave up drinking and um, I haven't drunk for nearly 16 years. Um, and it's interesting. I went and did a course called the Hoffman process and I went in as one person and I came out the other side as a completely different person. And on the final day I had to draw coming back to my creativity. I am not creative at all. Like I cannot draw, <laughs> but I wrote everyone else drawing these beautiful pictures and I wrote or I drew this big word joy and it's all yellow and orange and I still have it on my wall right so joy for me is just this inner essence it is like what I most want to be like it's it's every time I get cranky or angry or discombobulated I'm like joy is the essence that I reach for so I would say that happiness I don't I don't know that I can delineate between the two on the spot. So I'm going to ask you what, but I'm going to think very deeply about this all day. What would you say? So for me, I, I think that happiness is a choice. Uh, yeah, happiness is a choice, but so is joy. But joy is a, a deeper understanding that no matter what happens in your life, you are still going to remain positive. You're still going to appreciate the things. I think it's gratitude as well. So both of these play into each other. And that's what I've noticed. Like we had a dog we called Joy. She was, she just, at any moment, if we got angry, if we got upset, you name it, 
she would just come up to us. Even if we're angry at her, she would just keep being persistent, keep coming up to us and just hugging us because she sensed something was wrong within us. That is what joy is like. It's a state of being that no matter what actually happens in life, you are going to just remain as positive. You're going to try and cheer people up. You're going to try and make Mm. them happy. And happiness is like the flow on effect of joy. It's a choice. I I Mm. choose to be in this state of joy and I also choose to be happy. But happiness is also an emotion as well. Like I also think that gratitude is is the attitude that we can turn on and off as well. So if I'm grateful right now, then I can automatically turn on happiness at the same time because it's like flowing on it's flow on <laughs> oh, I-, I love that I've never thank you I've never really looked at it like that that is very yeah very beautiful very poignant yeah and and I love that you have had a dog called joy because it's when it's the essence that I most connect with I think it's a really beautiful state of being we had her for 11 years and we unfortunately had I was like this like really close with her and we had to put her down uh, in January 18 of this year. But then three oh. weeks later, we get our other dog, our other German Shepherd, we named Alita Joy because the moment we met her, she was this vibrant, happy, uh, cheeky personality that just reminded us so much of our, our last dog, Joy. And the moment, and over, over the uh, last year or a couple of months, we've noticed that she is exhibiting behaviors the same as Joy did. And it's kind of creepy. <laughs> oh my God. I just got, I, I, I'm an empath. I feel very deeply and I just got shivers all like my whole body. So wow. It's crazy to think that <sighs> so Joy used to sleep in my room and Alita sleeps in my room as well. And all the things that Joy used to do, she does the same thing. The way she reincarnates. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I think as well. It's it's a strange, wow. strange phenomenon of all the dogs in the world. We end up with that one who ends up exhibiting, if I'm saying the word correctly, all the same things. Exhibiting. Exhibiting. Yeah. Exhibiting, yeah, exhibiting. I love it. I always make up words as well. Let's go with exhibiting. I like that. Exhibiting. I'm going to use that today. Fascinating thing. And I haven't, I've thought about it many, many times and I'm like, why is that? Like do, Mm. I don't know if you've seen A Dog's Purpose or that film, but it made me cry because the dog, the owner, the original owner makes, uh, tells the dog, to look after his future family or kid. And the dog literally makes its way back. And Do you know, I haven't, I have not seen it because here's a funny story. Now that, how funny is this? You go on all these trajectories with these conversations and that's what I love. Now oh. we're going to end up talking about dogs for the next <laughs> half an hour. Um, when I met my fiance, Stephen, I'd had Benny for seven years. And Stephen was not into dogs at all, right? He was, for about six months, he was like, what is that thing? And now we've been together four years. So Benny's, oh, whatever's he now? Anyway, um, Stephen is obsessed. Like they pretty much don't leave each other's side. And like it's gone to the absolute nth degree of ridiculousness. And so Stephen will not watch that movie because he would just cry the entire way through. Like he just can't bear it. So much so if you met us in the street, this is what Stephen says, people go, oh, look at your dog. He's so beautiful. How old is he? And Stephen goes four. And I'm like, he's not four. <laughs> he's like nearly 11. And, and um, he just can't bear the thought of like him dying. Oh, sorry, buddy. At any <laughs> time. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's really hard. I, I, we oh. lost our first dog when I was, I think, eight, and yes. my my grandfather he couldn't bear the uh, the thought of of us actually having to. He's oh, I bet. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you're doing video as well as audio, but anyway, everyone is holding Benny now. <laughs> oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah, it was um, my grandfather bought our old dog Joy. 
as a way to cheer us up and to bring back that joy. And that's why we named her Joy. Uh, there's a whole story behind oh, that too. Danny. <laughs> he likes it. You're not getting enough on, attention. Sorry. On, on cue. <laughs> that's perfect. Oh. Uh, we, can, we can talk about dogs for ages, but. Oh, I know, we have to do a whole follow up and, and dog episode. <laughs> I'll do a two hour episode on just dog stories. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> so. But for all the people who are listening who are not dog lovers, they're just going to be like, oh, uh, these guys are just on crack. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? Everyone else would be like, oh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> if you're not a dog lover, ask yourself why not. <laughs> That's why I call it man's yes. best friend because it's so Yeah, exactly. Cats run away and, yeah, cats run away. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> dogs, dogs stay. Um I wanted to ask you, Lisa, about taking the jump, taking that leap of faith almost forward into business. Why do you think in your experience that it is hard for people to actually take that first step? Oh, well, let's go with mindset and let's go with economic reasons. So I'm going to go with mindset first. I think in my experience, I mean, across, I've got 17 different social media channels between Collective Hub and Lisa Messenger. So we're like chatting to people in real time all the time about, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, a starter. And I do a lot of public speaking and talk to the audience. And so I feel like I'm kind of very immersed deeply in the world of startups and entrepreneurs and first steps. And the recurring theme all the time is people are like, um, you know, feelings of worthlessness or, you know, around self-worth, like I'm not worthy, who am I to start a business? Um, I do, and a whole lot of self-sabotage and, and fear-based excuses. So um, I don't have the money, I don't have the skills, I don't know what to do. So a lot of people keep themselves small and hold themselves back because they're fearful or they don't have the confidence or the self-worth. So around that, I would say, you know, I've done a lot of personal development over the years. Just start with something. I mean, even read my book, Daring and Disruptive, which <laughs> I've got a whole chapter in there about fearless and, you know, how I started a magazine in 2013 that I'd never worked in the media, I'd never worked in magazines, like everything was stacked against me. There were over 5,500 print magazines in Australia at the time. I had no idea what I was doing, no money, you know, nothing basically. And within 18 months, that magazine was in 37 countries. So in that book, Daring and Disruptive, I talk a lot about that. So a lot of it is, you know, putting in the work, getting courageous enough to go, what's helping, what's what's holding me back? Why aren't I feeling great? And so getting that mindset and that, you know, kind of resilience and I'm good enough. And the second piece that I think holds people back, which also feeds into that is often about money, economic situations, finance, lack. And um, a lot of people, if they're sitting already in a, you know, relatively well-paid nine-to-five job working for the man, it's harder to make the leap because you may have kids or you may have a mortgage or you may have, you know, real fiscal responsibilities. And so then it becomes more difficult. And so that's when I would say, you know, start to do a side hustle or test things, you know, on a smaller scale, what's the minimal viable product? Like how can you look at entering the market? But I'd also say this, the book I wrote after Daring and Disruptive is actually called Money and Mindfulness. I don't know if you've read any any of these, Jay, but um, there I really addressed, because when I launched the Collective Hub that I just talked about and it sort of had this success, what then happens is a whole lot of people came to me and said, oh, but it's okay for you. You must have had all this money. And I was like, no, 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 no. So I wrote a book and this is why I write in real time and respond to reactions to different things to help people. I That whole book talks about, you know, how I grew that magazine with no money. So it talks a lot about what are the other currencies other than cash? How can you collaborate? How can you find like-minded non-competing partners to help to amplify your brand? And so pretty much Money and Mindfulness, the entire 208-page book talks about, you know, strategies if you're 
if you're afraid to start, if you don't have the money, like how do you actually go about doing it? So I think, you know, mindset and money are the two biggest things I think that stop people. And sometimes without the right strategies, you know, they're very real things. And I don't want people to jump in and go, I'm just going to do it because, you know, then if you could fall on your face and have a horrible experience. But if you if you gear up with the right attitude, the right mindset, um, and you have, you know, some skills around, I'm not going to spend all this crazy money. I'm going to look at doing things in a different way. Then you're going to set yourself, pardon me, then you're going to set yourself up for success, I think. Mm. I have this saying as well that I found found that it basically at the beginning of this year when I started uh, the story box, which is you've got to be persistent to remain consistent of the things that you want. And mm. if you really, really want something, if you're passionate about it, you will do whatever mm. it takes, regardless of if you've got money or not. I don't have money yet. Yeah. I'm trying to do whatever it takes to change the world through people's powerful stories. That's, mm. that's what I looked at. And you find ways, like I always liken it to an eagle. An eagle, if he wants to eat, he's not going to give up. If Otherwise, he goes hungry. He finds a new way and the eagle is persistent. He just keeps yeah. going and doesn't stop. And so I think that's what you're mentioning. The mindset of people is they mm. give up too quickly. And I love that there's another uh, image, I don't know if you've seen it as well, of two people digging for a diamond and one seems to dig and dig and dig and gives up just before he's about to hit it and then someone else just keeps digging and digging and then he hits it. And the guys yeah. look at him like, what, what the hell? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. As, yes, 100%. And going back to what I said before, I mean, you know, there's this great thing about an overnight success. You know, yeah. I launched my magazine in 2013, but I started my businesses, my first business in 2001. So, you know, that was 11, 12 years before something really actually worked, right? Mm-hmm. Um as I said, yes, I've written 29 books or something. Apart from happiness is like really no one read much the first 18. So you, uh, when I went to get an advertiser for the magazine, I literally knocked on, I think, 79 doors and had 79 phone calls before I got one yes, right? Mm. Everyone said to me, everyone, they were like, who are you? You have no experience. Um, ugh, yuck, you know, magazines, prints dead. Like I had every knockback and no. But the thing is when you, and this comes back to purpose, I was like, the thing I kept holding on to with that is there's so much media out there that talks about, you know, Jay's amazing. And then I was always left scratching my head going, but how did Jay do it? Why did Jay do it? Like, what's the, um, how did he actually build a podcast? How did he fund it? Like, so I was so determined to bring something to the world that would tell the story behind the story for entrepreneurs that I just kept going because I knew in my heart that that was something that I wanted to read and people around me wanted to read. And eventually I got one yes, you know, and it just takes one yes. And I talk about this, it actually doesn't matter if the the amount of the yes was $20 or $2 million. Like it was that someone beyond me actually believed in it. And in fact, that guy was Andy Lark, who was the CMO, so chief marketing officer of the Commonwealth Bank at the time. And what's interesting about that is that the deal I did was $200,000. And here's what's even more interesting. In 19 years of business, I've never, ever, ever borrowed a single cent for my businesses from a bank and I have no investors. So Commonwealth Bank gave me $200,000 as a very complex sponsorship and advertising deal. And I will touch on this quickly because it's like, what's in your bag? What can you trade when no one's heard of you, when the product doesn't yet exist? And I convinced Andy, I was like, I'm going to have, this is eight months out from going to print. So I had nothing and no credibility, but I knew I would have a print magazine. So I was like, right, people were doing deals for, you know, $5,000 for an ad. I was like, I need a big chunk of change. So I did a deal for $200,000 and I was like, right, I'll be able to do editorial, advertorial. I can give you physical copies of the magazine. I can come in and speak. So I just thought about what are all the things I'm going to be able to do? And I talk about this a lot. Business is like a dance. At the beginning, you're like, I'm going to stack it. Andy, I'm going to give you like a million bucks worth of value for your 200 grand investment. You know, I'm going to give you everything. 
and made it impossible for him to say no. And he's now one of my best friends and he's the reason that that started. So like you said, you just got to keep grinding. You got to keep pushing um, and you got to keep telling your story and making people fall in love with your vision. And eventually if you believe in yourself resolutely enough, someone just one person will eventually believe in you as well. And you just need one person. And then if one person believes in you, well, a hundred people can believe in you. And I think that's a really important message. I love that message. My grandfather used to tell me all the time. Firstly, Jay, if you don't ask, you don't get. So don't be afraid to ask. Secondly, all those no's are just leading you closer to the one yes that you need. Yeah. So Keep on asking. <laughs> and don't, don't give up. Exactly. Do not give up. I love that. That's very inspiring. And I'm always curious about people's mindsets when they're facing rejection, like when they get rejected from something, what keeps them actually going? Like, is it seeing your success? Is it seeing something actually happen? Was it the same thing for you? Yeah. It's a really interesting question because I think it's almost a learned art over time because you've also got to know when to stop. Mm. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, when, so I ended up closing the print mag in April, 2018 after 54 issues because, and this is important. I realized that my purpose is exactly the same, but for many reasons, I mean, it's very well documented why I did it. I've written another book, Risk and Resilience, which is all about that. I was kind of like, I know how to do that now, but I want to, and I talk, have talked a lot in this podcast about delivery mechanism. I was like, I want to play with other modalities, you know, write different books, journals, um, create a podcast, you know, do more speaking, create digital masterclasses. So it's all still the same. It's just not in the magazine. My point around knowing when to stop is this, um, in about, so April, May, June, July, let's call it July, 2018, when I hadn't really worked out what the next iteration of Collective Hub was going to be, I came up with an idea for a pet brand. Um, and so then because I was like lagging a little on my purpose at the time, and this is where it's really important to stay focused on what your purpose is. So, for the next kind of in the background for probably let's call it 14 or 15 months, I worked on this kind of different pet brand, like athleisure for pets. Right. Mm. But I never felt it. I was always like, Oh, everything about it was like walking through mud. Everything was a pain in the ass. And, um, so I've spent about $33,000 on getting samples made, paying different people to develop tech packs, um, getting the um, brand trademarked, getting the logos and everything done. But you know what? I've just said, well, I don't want to do it. Like <laughs> it was a little bit expensive, but I got to a point and my fiance has been saying it since day one. He's like, what are you doing? Like a pet brand is so, even though we love our dogs, it's so not on purpose for you. All about igniting human potential. And I kept trying to justify it to myself by going, yes, but if I can create a magazine, which I knew nothing about at the start and it ended up being in 37 countries in 18 months. Let me try something else that I know nothing about so that I can, um, you know, document the story and say to people, I know nothing about creating a pet brand. Here's the story. Well, as it turns out, I know nothing about creating a pet brand and I actually it's driven me mad. And so, so you've got to also know when it's okay. Even if you've spent money, you go, okay, 33 grand, not ideal expensive lesson, but I'd rather free my time up to do other things, you know? So I think, and I'll, and I'm talking about that in very real terms, because what happens is for me, you get to a point where you're like, oh, but I've invested all this money, but it's like, if it hasn't worked by now and there are too many roadblocks and actually it's not really my passion and my purpose anyway, then, you know, find another way. Like I'll probably repurpose that brand into something else, a brand that I do collaborations under or something. So the Mm. money's not lost, but it's like, don't keep going just because you've invested a lot of time or money for now. Like keep checking in with yourself and going, does this really fit? And if I'm honest, 
No. And if I do it, I was going to do 18 products in four colorways. So 18 by four to launch. And then I'm like, that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort. It's going to detract from what I actually love doing and what I actually do best serving people. I'm going to put all my energy into trying to sell dog collars and dog leads. (laughs) And this comes a bit back to what we said before. If you're great at making cupcakes, I mean, I love dog collars and dog leads, but do I have to create it? Not really. Someone else is doing a perfectly great job at that. (laughs) So, yeah. I like, I like that analogy. It's it's quite interesting that people sometimes they, they get to a certain place and they're kind of afraid to stop as well. Like, yeah. Well, for a whole lot of reasons, ego, proving to ourselves, losing money, um, frustration over the amount of time that's been put into it. But again, it's like, I'm sure I'll recoup the 33 grand somewhere by like writing about it and then selling a book on how not to do a brand (laughs) and making the money that way. You know, you've got to reframe things all the time and go, okay, when do you know when to cut your losses and know when to keep pushing forward. Mm. And learn to follow your gut, learn to know, listen to it. Yeah, 100%. And I've known for a very long time. It's funny. I would say this a lot. When you, you'll know, when you hone in on your purpose, even when something's hard, you just keep going. You just keep ducking and weaving and finding a way, right? You know this. Um, But when you're, when you're off purpose, like the dog brand, I'm, everything's like, ugh, ugh, really? That's happened. Like you have a whole, so I would say the fourth bit about what we were talking about before, like notice your energetic reaction to something. I reckon that's, and that is gut, that is intuition, that's energy, whatever you want to call it. But I think that's when you really know, yeah, this, this makes me feel alive. The dog brand, yeah, fun, but no, does it make me feel alive? No. (laughs) I have, I have a whole story behind listening to your gut that happened to me last year. I won't share it, <laughs> um, but I, I do want to ask you a few more questions, Lisa, because I am mindful of your time. Really enjoyed this. Um, these are sort of my fun questions. And then we yes. get to the last couple of questions are the hard ones. So, I want to know about your gut though, but anyway, okay, for another time. <laughs> off air. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you after. I'll tell you after. It's quite fascinating. But so what would you say is your favorite food? Mm, are we talking good foods or bad foods? <laughs> good foods definitely good foods. <laughs> uh, my favorite good, do you know, we eat, this is really boring. This is because of my fiance. We eat kale every single day in some form or another. Like if he came to my house, people open my fridge and go, <laughs> because we literally have like sauteed kale on toast for breakfast. We put kale in our green smoothie. And every day I say to my fiance, what do you want for dinner? He's like, kale salad. I'm like, oh, so boring. But if I'm, if I'm being naughty, I have a real, I tell you what, hot chips. I am just like a sucker for a hot chip. I cannot go past them. Do you have Terrible. a favorite place for hot chips? No, not really. It's not like a thing. <laughs> oh, I was going to say like there's a couple of places that I know that have oh, the best hot chips ever. Where are you based? Uh, do you know you know the Hills District? Yeah. Okay. So, I will drive for a good hot chip. No. <laughs> oh, trust me. Honestly, these, these are to die for. There's a place called Sahara. Yeah, it's down the road from my house. I'm literally there all the time, and oh, wow. I'm, I'm very, I'm very good with the owner. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> these chips, I kid you not, Lisa, will change your life. Like, I don't know. No, what do. I don't need them. I'm glad it's not in a close proximity to my house. <laughs> <laughs> it's dangerous, <laughs> very dangerous. But yeah, that, anyway, um, what, what is your favorite? I'm getting hungry now. Oh. <laughs> What is your favorite book? Mm. You know what? I have so many. And here's an interesting thing. As an author now, I rarely read a book cover to cover, I'm, which is terrible. I dip in and out of a lot of books. I mean, I have like, we probably have, we would have over a thousand books in our house. I am like a sucker for books. We just buy I'm, I swear I'm keeping the print industry alive. Just solo me. <laughs> I have so many books. Um, <laughs> my favorite book, uh, I don't know, maybe like a little easy one is like Man's Search for Meaning. Like it's such a beautiful book. Oh, I have that one, yeah. Book. yeah. I've got to tell you something funny though. Um, 
because I still wear a few hats, um, some publishers still send me books, you know, because I look at them and I post them on my social media. Yesterday, I can't even remember what it's called. It's sitting on my kitchen bench. I should know. But um, Stephen walked in. It came from Murdoch. God love them. I love their books. I think they're a phenomenal publisher. But the all I know is something about like how to how to find your next man. It's something like that. That's not what it's called. And on the cover, like the byline is like, get out of your boring relationship or something like that. And he walks in and he's like, something you want to tell me? And I was like, no, 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 no. But then I was like, hmm, now that you mention it. <laughs> Just make you sweat. Because <laughs> I get, I mean, in a fortunate position, I get, you know, said some pretty cool stuff, but I just happened to leave that one sitting there. I was like, no, 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 it's a way you think. <laughs> that's, that's one way to make a man stress. <laughs> Keep them on their toes, ladies. Keep them on their love toes. It. I love it. <laughs> uh, do you have a favourite film, a favourite actor and the last movie that you watched? <sighs> so i tell you what I just watched again, actually, two nights ago was, um, is it Triplets? It, I mean, we watch a lot of documentaries. Um, I love anything that's like documentary or based on like biographic kind of movies um, that I can kind of learn from. But, I mean, sometimes I just have a complete zone out and watch a girly flick. Yeah, but I think Triplets it on Netflix and, um, yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. Like, uh, anyway, I won't talk about Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, no. Ah, uh, it's it's actually amazing. It I don't want to give away the punchline, but um yeah, so a lot of biographical stuff. So anyway, that's what I watched most recently. I'll add it to my list. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I, this is my last question for you. So you've reached I feel like it's sorry, I feel like I didn't answer that very well because you know when your brain is like you have so many in there, and I'm like, oh gosh, what is amazing that I watched recently? Hard question. <laughs> yeah. Dark yeah. People I just watched the which was horrific, the Jeffrey Epstein um oh, I can't, I can't watch that. I just Oh I, I was just like what how does someone Oh I, I think this is the actually I think this is one of the great things about so many different platforms now is that you know so many stories are being told and it's keeping so many people accountable you know there's a lot more accountability now and because also any of us can be the media own the media we all have the ability to tell our stories and I think that is something that's very powerful about coming out of mm. this day and age yeah 100% I, I recently watched um what, what did I watch it was some See, you have the same problem <laughs> yeah I know and I, I watched so many so many movies um it was it was a really really hard show I remember it after we've stopped recording, I know it, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just remember that it, it was like tugging at the heart strings. Like it was so emotional. Oh, tell me. That's killing me. I can't remember what it was. Killing me. I can't remember the life okay. of me. It just slipped my mind. Okay. I know this problem. I have this problem as well. <laughs> yeah, that's going to bug me for the rest of the day until I remember it. I'll, I'll message you like randomly. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> but I do want to ask you, Lisa, as my last question for you, you've reached the age of 100 and your friends have put together for you a film of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how they got it. They just did. And they've shown it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Oh, that's a beautiful thing to do. Mm. Um, I think, well, a lot of things really, but in essence I think that I brought, let's go with the happiness and joy, <laughs> but, you know, joy to people and that I really lived life fully and showed other people that anything is possible. I mean, I think that is really, that is really what I live for because it keeps me accountable to really pushing the boundaries and trying new things and living life large and trying anything pretty much that's legal. <laughs> and then in, I use myself as a conduit to then show people 
if I can do it, you can do it. You know, I'm no one special. And I think if people, you know, said you really, you really freaking lived, you really gave everything a red hot go and you inspired other people to believe as well that anything is possible, then that is what I would love to leave as my legacy. I love that. You've inspired me so much today, Lisa. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. We've got to do it again sometime. So many more questions for you. But thank you so much for giving up your time today, being a blessing and coming on the Storybox podcast and sharing a little bit about your story. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Jay, for having me. I don't like this part because it means that sadly, we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it'll go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.